cash, cheque or charge? The shop assistant asked after folding items the woman wished to purchase. Cash, she said. But as she fumbled in her bag for her purse, the man noticed a remote control for a TV in her bag. So do you always carry a TV remote with you? He asked. No, she replied. But my husband refused to come shopping with me. And I figured that this was the most evil thing I could do to him legally. I think that's quite clever, isn't it? I think we understand the motivation of this woman. When someone disappoints us, or lets us down, or frustrates us, attacks us, even hurts us, it comes so naturally to want to get our own back. To hurt them as they've hurt us. To annoy them as they've annoyed us. Or whatever. I think when you think about it, it's one of the most common themes in literature and in film. Last Sunday night, the film The Revenant uh, received five BAFTAs, which is the British Academy of Film and Television Arts Award. No wonder they call it BAFTAs. It's a bit of a mouthful. As a result, many have tipped its leading actor, Leonardo DiCaprio, to win an Oscar, which is next Sunday night. Now, The Revenant is not the kind of film that I'm going to watch. I'm a wee bit queasy about those kind of things. But from what I've read, it's a story about a frontiersman and an explorer called Hugh Glass in the early 19th century. After a horrific attack by a bear, Glass was left for dead by the other members of his hunting party. They even buried him in a shallow grave. But he survived. And through sheer willpower and determination, he crawled through the wilderness with those terrible wounds, overcoming unbelievable challenges in order to find those who had killed his son and had abandoned him. All in order to get his revenge. That desire for retaliation is such a powerful force in our lives. It's such a natural thing that we want to get our own, our, our own back when somebody hurts us. And yet, in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus called for us who are followers of Jesus to be completely different. And we're going to read these very challenging verses in Matthew chapter 5. It's just a few verses. Verse 38 down to verse 42. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. This phrase, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, is probably one of the most famous phrases from the Old Testament law. Lots of people would know that little phrase. It's called the, the lex talionis. Or the law of, of retaliation. 
And it's mentioned a few times in the Old Testament. For example, in Leviticus chapter 24, it says this. If anyone injures his neighbour, whatever he has done must be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. As he has injured the other, so he is to be injured. In each case, as it's given in the Old Testament, it's given for the legal system. As guidance for Israel's judges. And it taught that principle of exact retribution. This was to ensure that the punishment fitted the crime. And also to limit the compensation that the victim could demand. So it was, it was the exact retribution for your actions. And by Jesus' day, it had probably been adapted into a payment of, of damages. So rather than actually causing that damage to the other person, there was a financial payment that was made rather than that physical injury. And so this law was given to explain what justice should look like in the nation of Israel. And also to prevent someone taking the law into their own hands. Taking it further. But the problem was that the Pharisees had taken this law, this good principle, and they'd taken it out of the law courts where it belonged. And they'd placed it into the arena of personal relationships where it didn't belong. And so they used it as a justification for personal revenge. They came that the law said, if someone did something to you, then you could do that same thing to them. If someone harmed you in a, way, in a certain way, then you could do the exact same harm to them. That's what the law said. Again, they were misinterpreting and misapplying God's law. After all, the law said... Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbour as yourself. And so Jesus was speaking here to challenge the Pharisees' teaching by revealing and explaining the full meaning of the law and that true standard of God's righteousness that the law represented. And so he said this in verse 39. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Do not resist an evil person. So what does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus told us not to resist an evil person? I think one of the, this is one of the, the, the things that Jesus says that we need to really think through carefully so that we don't misunderstand it. Because this cannot mean that a Christian should be fully passive in every aspect of their lives. As followers of Jesus, for example, we are in the middle of a battle against the spiritual forces of evil. And the Bible encourages us to be ready to fight in this battle. 1 Peter 5 and 8 and 9 says this, Be self-controlled and alert, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm 
in your faith, in the faith. So as Christians, we are called to resist the devil. Daily, we need to put on the armor of God, putting our faith in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, and take our stand against the devil's schemes. We need to resist his temptation. We need to pray for our protection. We need to fight against his influence and work to defeat his purposes and then share the gospel of Jesus with others to set people free from his grasp. So Jesus isn't calling us to avoid that confrontation with evil. The Christian life is a battle, as I'm sure many of you are aware of. And we are called to fight with all of our focus and energy and faith in this battle against evil. Neither is what Jesus is saying here in the Sermon on the Mount an excuse for us to take a step back from our responsibilities to our society. James says, James chapter 1 verse 27, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted from, by the world. So as God's people, we have a responsibility to do what we can to help the most vulnerable in our society. And an aspect of that means that we need to resist the powers of evil that would seek to attack those most vulnerable. Psalm 82 verse 3 says this, Defend the cause of the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed. So in God's eyes, our commitment to Him should be seen in our willingness to take a stand against those who would seek to oppress the weak and exploit the poor. And when you look at Jesus' life, this is what he did. He took a stand and he spoke out against the evils in his society. For example, he was fearless in his condemnation of the teachers of the law because he said they devour widows' houses. And for a show, make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely, Jesus said. So we cannot interpret what Jesus says here as a call to just passively stand back and watch as evil people abuse their power or hurt the helpless. We need to work to protect their rights, even as we willingly lay down our own rights. So do not resist an evil person is not about stepping out of the, the spiritual battle that we're in. It's not about standing back and, and, and avoiding our social responsibilities. But neither is it about dismantling our legal system. Jesus was not speaking out against that law of, of exact retribution for those who do, do wrong in the law. Jesus often taught that those who do wrong will be punished 
in a way that's consistent with their actions. For example, even in this Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, do not judge, or you too will be judged. That's that principle of exact retribution again. And ultimately the Bible is absolutely clear on the fact that unless people have been forgiven of their sins through faith in Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, God will hold everyone accountable for what they have done. Paul says in Romans 2, God will give to each person according to what he has done. So that's a clear principle in Scripture of punishment for those, the things that people have done unless they've been forgiven through Christ. So although we're not called to live under an exactly the same kind of legal system as the nation of Israel, because remember that was the old covenant, so that's not to be kind of wrenched out of context and applied today. Still that principle of punishment of those who do wrong does apply. So Paul said that we should submit to our government because they are established by God to keep the rule of law in our society. He says about the government that he is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Now before you say that our government is terrible and all of those kind of things, and I'm, and, and I'm not going to get into the, the whole thing about the, the general election, Paul's government wasn't very good either. If you remember, it was the Roman Empire he was talking about when he was talking about the Roman the government. So yes, sometimes they fail in their responsibilities. They don't live up to the responsibilities that God has given them. They abuse their power. They, they punish the innocent they let the guilty go free. But their failure to live up to their responsibilities doesn't remove completely God's purpose in establishing human government to protect the vulnerable and to punish the evil. So this, this phrase, do not resist an evil person, is not Jesus' command to the guardian or to the law courts to all be all resign and stand back and let evil flourish in our society. Okay? So this is not about us retreating from our spiritual battle or from our social responsibilities or about dismantling the legal system. So what is it about? What does Jesus mean by do not resist an evil person? Well, Jesus explained it for us what he meant through those four short illustrations. So let's just have a look at them and see what we can understand about what Jesus is saying. Verse 39. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, he says. In that culture, being struck on the right cheek, presumably by the right hand, by the back of the right hand, was one of the most insulting things that somebody could do to you. It's a real insult in that culture. And so the natural thing to do in that situation would either be to run away, if you're that kind of person, or to hit back, to get your own back, to defend yourself, or to return the insult. But Jesus called his followers to do neither. Don't run away, don't stand and fight. Instead, he said, 
turn to him the other also. He wants us to stand there. Take the insult. Refuse to retaliate. And even make yourselves vulnerable to being attacked again. In a world where we are encouraged by this world to, if not, get get the first punch in before the other person does, to at least give as good as you get, Jesus calls us to be different. Make sure, Paul says, that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. But always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. So don't hit back. Secondly, Jesus said, if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. The situation here is a legal dispute in court. Rather than contesting the action, Jesus tells us to give more than is demanded in order to settle the case and to restore our relationships. It's difficult to know exactly what situations we should apply that to, but Paul, he applied this principle to the church when he wrote to the church in Corinth, where they were taking each other to court. They were suing each other in court. And he tells them in 1 Corinthians 6 and 7 and 8, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead you yourselves cheat and do wrong. And you do this to your brothers. He said it would be better to lose out financially than to gain that money by taking your Christian brother to court and imposing your rights. Then thirdly, Jesus said, if someone forces you to go one mile. In that society, Roman soldiers had the legal right to force someone to carry their equipment or any other load for at least a mile, for as far as a mile. I think a Roman soldier, a Roman officer did something similar to Simon of Cyrene. Remember when they forced him to carry the cross of Jesus? But instead of resisting this unfair demand, or even just grudgingly submitting to it like with gritted teeth, Jesus called us as followers of him to go above and beyond that. To go beyond what was expected of them. Go with him two miles, Jesus said. Instead of seeing this as an obligation, we should see this as an opportunity to unselfishly and eagerly serve others. And this kind of generosity was also encouraged in this final illustration, verse 42. Give to the one who asks you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. When people come to us in need, sometimes we feel like turning them away, don't we? Or even just minimizing what we give to them. Especially when we feel that person in some way doesn't deserve our help. Or in some ways hurt us. But instead, Jesus says, whoever they are, 
whatever they have or haven't done for us or to us. Jesus calls us to respond with generosity in providing what we can to meet their need. Now I think I would be the first to acknowledge that knowing how the, what this means in our everyday lives can be difficult. How do you apply this into our situations? It takes a lot of thinking through. But of course, Jesus didn't give these four illustrations to provide us detailed instructions of what to do in every single situation in our lives. That would be like falling into the trap of the Pharisees, wouldn't it? Because that's what they did. They were working out the rules of what to do in all these lives. And when they did kept those rules, which made it easier, then they thought they'd kept the law. We're not called to live in that legalistic, rule-based way. So it doesn't give us a, a full kind of guidelines in every situation. But neither can we just explain these illustrations away to try to avoid the challenge of what Jesus is saying here. He's saying these are the kinds of responses that he means when he says do not resist an evil person. This is the kind of thing that Jesus wants us to do. This is the kind of way that he wants us to react in these situations. When we're insulted, we mustn't retaliate by hitting back but even be willing to suffer again. When we're accused, we mustn't hold on to our rights, but even be willing to lose out if we can make peace. When we're obliged to work, we mustn't hide from that opportunity to serve. And when we're asked for help, we mustn't hesitate to give. This is the righteous standard that Jesus is looking for in our lives. In our personal relationships, we are not only to refuse to retaliate or seek revenge to those who hurt us. We need to be willing to go beyond that. Give up our demand for justice. Set aside our rights. Choose to suffer loss. And give far more that anyone has the right to demand of us. But the question that I would have is, why? Why does Jesus call his followers to live like that? What's the point of responding to people in that way? Well, first of all, I think it leads justice in the hands of the one in whom it belongs. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. I think most of us would agree that we're not good at judging other people. We tend to misread the situation. We get the, the wrong end of the stick. We judge people's intention wrongly. Especially when we're being hurt or let down and our emotions get in the way. And so we should leave that whole business of judging other people in God's hands. 
the one who always judges justly and the one who can deal with sin appropriately it's simply not our job to judge other people in that way this is what Jesus did writing about Jesus' trial Peter said when they hurled their insults at him he did not retaliate when he suffered he made no threats instead he entrusted himself to him who judges justly in that courtroom Jesus didn't defend himself he didn't demand justice instead he led that left that into his father's hands the one who could perfectly provide that justice in his perfect time and instead he allowed those cruel men to strike him again and again again he didn't assert his rights even though he was wrongly accused he didn't defend himself even though he could have called down legions of angels to protect him (coughs) and he did all of that so that he could give his life to pay for our sins to do something that none of us would ever earn or deserve and as his followers we are called to walk in his footsteps this is what Peter says in the verse before the one I just read to this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps this is what it means to follow Jesus it means to walk in that place of not retaliating not defending yourself not fighting back why? what Jesus is asking us to do here is to be gracious to others as God has been gracious to us the Lord is compassionate and gracious slow to anger abounding in love he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities the Lord doesn't hit back when we sin against him he doesn't hold on to his rights instead he laid them down for us he didn't hide from serving us but he came to rescue us he didn't hesitate to give even his own life for us and so if we have really experienced this amazing grace that we've been singing about this morning when we didn't deserve it then how can we fail to express that same grace to others when they hurt us when they disappoint us when they fail us when they don't deserve it it's about responding to God's grace to us in giving his grace to others and when we do that God can change lives just like he's changed ours this is what Paul writes about in in Romans chapter 12 he says if your enemy is hungry feed him if he is thirsty give him something to drink 
In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. That's not about setting fire to his hair. Okay. Rather, it's a picture of repentance. It's about when someone is so convicted of their sin, because that person has responded with such grace and love and mercy to them, even though they've treated them so badly, that they would desperately want to change. That they come to that point of repentance. Now, Paul doesn't promise that we're going to see that response all the time. He doesn't promise us that as soon as we turn the other cheek or go the extra mile, people will all bow down and say, oh, I'm really sorry for what I've done. But in reaching out in grace to people, we have an opportunity to help them to come to that point of repentance. We have an opportunity to serve them and enable them to come to that point of repentance and even to that point of receiving God's forgiveness through our simple actions in expressing grace to them in the same way that God expressed grace to us. Clearly what Jesus says to us here is not easy. I don't understand people who say the Sermon on the Mount is a lovely little sermon for us just to read over and it makes us feel so nice. I find it so challenging. This is so difficult to put into practice. It will take the power of the Holy Spirit living in us to give us the grace and the mercy and the love that we need. As well as his guidance to know how to respond in each of these different difficult situations. But it's worth it. It's worth it because the alternative is so bad. Because we'll know that retaliation does nobody any good. There was a famous civil rights leader, Martin Luther King Jr., who who gave his life in the fight against the evil of racism through non-violent protest, who said this, that old law about an eye for an eye leaves everybody blind. And we see that even played out in the the kind of gangline killings that we've seen in in Ireland recently, haven't we? One kills the other, and they kill the other, and and it just goes on and on and escalates, and it snowballs, and it impacts so many lives. So retaliation is so wrong that we should avoid it. And yet also what Jesus calls us to is so wonderful. He calls us to leave justice in God's hands because He can give perfect justice. And He calls us to follow in His footsteps, to be gracious to those around us. Because in doing that, we can overcome the evil in our hearts and even the evil in other people's lives. This is what Paul says at the end of that chapter. He talks about this in Romans 12. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's what Jesus calls us to. To walk in his footsteps in achieving the victory over evil. Not through resisting and retaliation and revenge and fighting back, but through expressing God's grace to those who deserve it least in our lives.